Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday, November the 7th. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises our engineer, Duncan Wynne, and round the table with me is Judith Doherty and Sally Rowe. The clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle, who is also, bless her, going to do the copying tomorrow, Friday. Our thought for the day is from Kia Aldis and the music by Sheila Joins. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, um, and we'll open the birthday book. Um, the obituaries and thought for the week will follow the music at the end of the recording. We'll have the last week's headlines and sunrise and sunset times and then stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free for users to, uh, to users and is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, that's W-Y-L-D-S in Worcester, W-R-5-1-D-A. And we do thank anyone who has made a donation. It really is appreciated um, and does um, assist us greatly with uh, equipment and so forth. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvement or you have a complaint, of course, you could leave a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please know that we are not here every day. We are a voluntary service and um, we're, we're not here all the time. So leave a message and we will get back to you. So I'm going to give you the um, useful telephone numbers now. So I'll repeat here in Wilds Lane is 01905 767766. Uh, Worcester Live, which covers Huntington Hall and the Swan Theatre, is again Worcester Code and it's 611427. Over at Mulvern, the number is 01684892277 and for the Norbury Theatre is 770154. Um, police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 one. And the Worcester Hub, again Worcester Code 01905 765765. And NHS Direct, if you need health advice, is 111. Um, there is an out-of-hours GP number available between 6 and 8 in the evening. And that number is 0300 123 3211. Okay, 
So I'm going to ask um, Judith if she would look at the birthdays. Open the birthday book for us, please. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> um, yes, two birthdays this week. Uh, on the 11th of November, um, happy birthday to Josephine Harris. And on the 15th, happy birthday to Paddy Fellows. So we wish you both... Uh, very happy birthdays. Yes, Paddy's a fellow reader, so happy yes. birthday, Paddy. Okay, and um, I'm going to ask Sally now if she'll tell us what's on in the local theatres, please. Thank you. Okay. <coughs> Starting at the Norbury Theatre, which um, is in Droitwich, on Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th of November, there is a theatre production of Rebecca, the Daphne du Maurier masterpiece. That's on at 7.45 in the evening. On Sunday the 10th of November, there is an outside broadcast from the Royal Opera House of the ballet um, and concerto Enigma Variations and Raimonda Act 3, which lasts approximately three hours and doesn't say what time it starts. Two o'clock, beg your pardon, two o'clock. And the tickets are £16, £13 or £10. Um, then on Sunday the 10th and Tuesday the 12th, again, a live screening um, of 42nd Street. Um, and that is at 6.30 on Sunday and 7.30 on Tuesday. And then... Uh, a little bit ahead of time, but Wednesday the 27th through till Saturday the 30th of November, there is a youth group production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, it's on at 7.30 in the evening and there's a matinee on Saturday at 2.30 and the tickets are £15 and £13. And then moving on to Malvern. There is um, Thursday the 14th of November, there is uh, Frankie Valley, um, Big Girls Don't Cry, that's um, 7.45 and that's £31.92. On Saturday the 16th of November at 7.45, there is um, the Academy of Ancient Music, Malova's Bow Dances Across the Strings, Violin Concerto by Hay Haydn, and J.S. Bach, Symphonies and Arias by Haydn and Bach. And then um, also on Tuesday the 12th of November in Malvern, there is an Aretha, sorry, Aretha Franklin songbook, Respect, at 7.45. And Saturday the 9th of November, there is Tommy, the album Live, um, celebrating 50 years since the release of The Who's Tommy. And that's £7.45, £25.76. And then there is um, a straight play, Alan Akebourne's Ten Times Table, hilarious hit from the West End, running from Monday the 11th to Saturday the 16th um, for £20. And that is at 7 30 then, moving on to Worcester, on Saturday the 9th of November in Huntingdon Hall at 7.30, we've got 
Julie Julie Band. Who knows where the time goes? Um, on Sunday the 10th of November, the Worcester Concert Club presents a masterclass with Carducci String Quartet. And that's at 12 o'clock at the Huntingdon Hall. Worcester Concert Club also presenting the String Quartet at 3 o'clock. So that's 12 midday and 3 o'clock, the same. And then Ian Siegel, Unplugged, is performing on Tuesday the 12th of November at 7.30 at the Huntingdon Hall. And then the WMTC I'm trying to think, celebrates the season. And from Tuesday the 12th to Saturday the 16th of November at the Swan Theatre. And that is at 7.30 with a matinee on Saturday at 2.30. So lots of different things going on in the area. Thank you, Sally. Um, and I'm going to ask uh, Judith if she would be kind enough to read the headlines, the sunrise, sunset, and kick off with the first headline story, please. Yep. Okay. Right. Um, headlines are, firstly, thug in threat to knife his ex's mum, then sex attack conviction, mindless thugs target residents, Special delivery. Man critical after attack. And finally, end of an era for Knowles's. Um, and the sunrise is now 7.15am and sunset is 4.29pm. And the um, first headline, I'll start now. A convicted robber who has been committing crime since he was 13 assaulted his ex-girlfriend and threatened to knife her mother, mother's face. Daniel Smith ignored a restraining order which prohibited contact with his ex-partner by sending her abusive messages, making threats, assaulting her and damaging a door. The 31-year-old of Raleigh Close Dines Green had already admitted breaching a restraining order, damaging property, acting in breach of a restraining order and assault by beating when he appeared at Hereford Crown Court. The court heard how the father of four had been in a relationship for 12 years which broke down in 2017. A restraining order was made prohibiting contact with his ex on March the 28th last year. Andrew Jackson, prosecuting, said, Despite this order, she received a variety of vulgar messages from Smith on February the 5th this year, sent between midnight and 7am. In the messages, Smith referred to his ex-partner as a slag and also called her another expletive. Smith sent a message telling her to watch out, threatened he would put a big knife in her mother's face and sent another which said die. Mr Jackson told the court he also made threats about robbing someone and that her mother's head would be blasted off if she stood in the way, said Mr Jackson. On February the 6th, he put a status on Facebook saying he would kill tomorrow 
attaching a profile picture of his ex-partner who took a screenshot of the message. When his ex was at her sister's house, Smith sounded the buzzer and banged on the front door before gaining entry to the flat on June the 21st this year. Smith was described as clutching a can of beer, damaging a door and making an offensive reference to his partner and her sister having sexual relations with Pakistani men. He denied grabbing his ex by the throat but accepted pushing her to the upper chest, shouting, Where are my kids? Smith was arrested on July the 15th this year and had been in custody since then. Smith told officers he had been told two lads were selling cocaine at his ex-sister's house and shoulder-barged the door when no one had answered to his knocking. However, he later discovered this claim was not true, said Mr Jackson. He denied grabbing his ex by the throat or making threats to anyone in the flat or that he had been drunk. The court heard how Smith had convictions for robbery, assault, occasioning actual bodily harm and battery. His first offence dating back to December the 11th, 2002, when he was just 13. In 2008, he received three years' detention at a young offenders' institution for robbery. More recently, he was fined £60 for a public order offence on July the 16th this year, after he admitted shouting outside Worcester Magistrates' Court with others. Belinda Aris, defending, said, He's extremely ashamed of his behaviour. This is a man who has struggled previously with alcohol abuse and his cannabis use. Miss Aris told the judge, He wants to change. He was extremely sorry. She also said an appointment had been arranged for Smith with Swanswell, the Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Service, that day. She described Smith as a grafter who had worked as a plasterer and block paver and had been tentatively offered work should he get his driving licence. He fully accepts that his relationship is over, she said. Judge Daniel Pierce Higgins, QC Prosecuting, said... He began offending young. The judge made Smith the subject of an 18-month community order to include 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days, a six-month alcohol treatment programme and 150 hours of unpaid work. The judge said Smith had the benefit of long-suffering parents but warned him, it may be your last chance, Mr Smith. He made an indefinite restraining order and ordered him to pay an £85 victim surcharge. A former Worcester student has been convicted of a sex attack on a woman. Ex-University of Worcester student Sam Ringer was convicted of sexual assault at Hereford Crown Court after he groped the woman while she waited for a taxi. She told him, what are you doing? We only met two hours ago. However, the 20-year-old was cleared of raping a second woman in her Worcester flat on November the 14th, 2017 and of sexually assaulting a third woman in Worcester on January the 16th last year. After more than six hours spent deliberating, the jury failed to reach verdicts on two further counts, one of rape and, one, and another involving an alleged penetrative assault. 
These offences were said by the prosecution to have been committed against a fourth city woman also on January the 16th last year. The Crown Prosecution Service now has seven days to decide whether to seek a retrial on these two counts, although the court heard that June the 8th next year was the earliest any such hearing could take place. Shortly before 2pm, the jury of seven women and five men convicted him of count five on the indictment, a sexual assault in Ilkston, Derbyshire, on July the 12th last year, when he put his hand up a woman's top, kissed her and put his hands on her bum. At the same time, the jury cleared Ringer of counts one and two, a further rape and sexual assault in Worcester, before resuming deliberations. When the jury was called back in shortly before 3pm, the panel was asked by Judge, Judge Daniel Pierce Higgins QC if it had been able to deliver unanimous or majority verdicts on the remaining two counts, a rape and sexual assault. The foreman indicated that there was no prospect of that happening, telling the judge, we believe we're stuck. As a result, the judge discharged the jury from any further consideration of the case. They had been deliberating for more than six hours, first retiring to consider verdicts at 12.52 on Thursday. Throughout the trial, Ringer, the grandson of a vicar, insisted all sexual contact was consensual and said some of his accusers had flirted with him beforehand. He also claimed there had been a connection between him and the woman who made the allegations. Ringer said of the rape allegation of which he was cleared, you could tell it was both people enjoying it. He accepted that he had a reputation as probably a bit of a player, but also said he was a Christian who regularly attended church. Ringer, a second-team basketball player at the university, was living at St John's campus at the time the allegations were made. He must sign the sexual offend, offender register as a result of his conviction for the sexual assault in Ilkeston, where he now lives with his parents. The assault involved him touching the victim's genitals, bottom and breast. Ringer had described her as pretty flirty and said, I know I hadn't done anything legally wrong. He tried to suggest she brought the sexual element into their conversation. But Andrew Jackson, prosecuting, told Ringer in cross-examination, in reality, it was you chancing your arm. Ringer had offered her a lift, but she had declined choosing to wait for a taxi instead and did not respond to his messages. She gave evidence against him at court, declining the offer of a screen. Panic has spread through a city community following several mindless acts of vandalism, as well as thefts and an alleged threat of violence. But the church operations manager believes reaction has been exaggerated. After vandals smashed windows, broke fence panels and threw flowerpots across Cherry Orchard Primary School playground in the early hours of Tuesday at half-term, a string of criminal acts has followed nearby. Members of Facebook page St Peter's Community Group Worcester have posted about a number of worrying incidents in the last couple of days, including a rock being thrown through a house window. Another member said a group of idiotic kids threw a glass bottle in his direction outside Tesco's in St Peter's Drive. And he allegedly heard one of them say, it should have hit him on the head. 
while a traffic bollard outside St Peter's Baptist Church appeared to have been ripped out of the ground and dumped outside Lloyd's Pharmacy. Bizarrely, another homeowner had a raw frankfurter put through his letterbox in St Peter's. In a statement posted on Facebook, Batten Hall Nunnery Safer neighbourhood team warned that a bank card was stolen during a distraction theft from outside Tesco. The post said a report had come in of a man who had approached an occupied car, pretending to be asking for directions and claiming he couldn't speak English. He opened the passenger door and put a map on the seat and was asking for directions before he stole items from a bag that was resting in the footwell. However, another poster said an elderly neighbour's burglar alarm was sounding earlier, but when he called 101, he got a recorded message stating they were busy. He tried for 20 minutes, but to no avail. One member said, following the vandalism, she hoped police would be taking steps to try and do something. It's most likely the same culprit doing it all. They do do it thinking it's fun, but they have no idea of the effect it has on their victims. Let's hope they're soon accountable for their actions. Hopefully, with all these reports, it will flag up patrol needed by police, she added. Referring to the broken window incident, the occupant said she was at home at the time and heard an almighty bang of the double glazing popping, adding it was very frightening. Tim Breed, church operations manager, believes it is more a a couple of one-off incidents and does not believe people should be too fearful. He said the bollard may well have been knocked out by a lorry before ending up at the nearby pharmacy and then the church car park. Mr Breed was able to reinstall it himself and said much of the other incidents he was aware of, while unsettling for those involved, could just be school kids bored and being silly during half term. We don't think it's anything to worry about at the moment, We've not noticed any more groups than normal. There are a few extra kids about because it's half term, he added. Safer neighbourhood team inspector Dave Troth said, Across the force, we tend to see an increase in reports of antisocial behaviour incidents in the week leading up to Halloween and bonfire night. The control room recorded an increase of 73% for antisocial behaviour incidents across the force on October 31st compared to the previous day. A delivery firm has reopened in Worcester following a fire which gutted the building. Arrow XL opened its doors to clients on October the 14th after two years of reconstructing the site which was burnt down on April the 20th, 2017. Paul Tyson, commercial director, said, We retained all our employees, which was really important to us. The entire building has been built from scratch and modernised. The building before was around 50 years old, and it was old-fashioned. Out of the poor event has come a fantastic new building. This gives us a great opportunity to expand the size of the business. The planning wanted us to have a green outlook on the building because of the trees in the background. This represents an eco-friendlier approach. The company, which offers delivery and storage to its clients, 
will create more jobs in the area as the business grows. The replacement warehouse has been rebuilt twice as high. It's now 14 metres tall, as before it was only 7 metres. There are between 230 and 250 workers on the site at Blackpool, Blackpool East Trading Estate. However, there could be more staff during peak times when the company will recruit more workers to cope with the demand. All staff were transported by the company to and from Chepstow following the fire. However, the company then temporarily moved to a warehouse in Droitwich while the building well the while the building was being rebuilt. A man is in a critical condition after an alleged assault in the city centre at the weekend. The Worcester News understands the 37-year-old victim, who has been named locally as David Paul Hannay, suffered bleeding on the brain and is, an, as, and is in an induced coma. The ambulance was called to Keystone's nightclub after the alleged attack at 12.20am on Saturday. Jonathan Shaw, 29, of Mendip Close, Malvern, appeared at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on a charge of GBH and did not enter a plea. He was given conditional bail and told to attend the next hearing of the case that will take place on Worcester, at Worcester Crown Court on December the 2nd. Among the bail conditions that he must not attend Worcester, apart from the Evolution Gym, and he was given a nightly curfew to his Malvern address. A West Mercia police spokesman said the charge relates to an incident in Copenhagen Street on Sunday, November the 3rd at 12.20am. A 37-year-old man was injured and currently remains in a critical condition in hospital. Investigating officers are appealing for witnesses to call police. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said, We were called to Keystone's Copenhagen Street to reports of an assault. On arrival, we discovered a patient who was treated for potential serious injuries and he was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The owner of two of Worcester's most famous independent shops said they were victims of the high street after taking the decision to close down after 135 years. Rick Knowles, who runs Knowles Sports and Knowles Travel Goods in Broad Street, said that declining footfall had made it more and more difficult to keep the business going. He said... It is very sad having to make the decision, but we didn't to make the decision we didn't want to make. We are another victim of the high street. The internet has taken its toll. Due to lack of footfall, we have been finding that the last two or three years have been very difficult, and so we had to make this difficult decision. We did not want to go bust, and that is why we have decided uh, to close. We haven't set an exact date for closing yet, but we will be finishing in the new year, either January or February. I want to thank our many loyal customers we have had and the loyal staff over the years. Without the support of customers and staff, we would not have made it this far. We are, or were, the longest-running sports shop still owned by the original family. We have always had people coming in and making lovely comments about how lovely it was to see we were still here. 
Mr Knowles, 61, said he does not know what he will do after the shop closes. He said, I haven't worked out exactly what I'm going to do. I'm trying to sort this out first. I do like the outdoor life, so I might start doing a bit more cycling, tennis and skiing. The shop was set up by Mr Knowles' great-grandfather, Albert, in 1884 as A.J. Knowles Limited, a saddle and tennis racket shop. Albert died from pneumonia at the age of just 39 in 1902 and his wife Mary took over the store. Their son Arthur took over when he returned from serving in the First World War, working in the shop for the next five decades until he died in 1971 at the age of 78. From then, his son Robin ran the shop, which had by then expanded to two shops, until his tragic death in a climbing accident in 1992 at the age of 60. After Robin's death, death, Rick took over the shop, having worked as a ski instructor in Switzerland before joining the family business at the age of 20. And there are some very nice um, archival photographs one um, when it opened in 1884, uh, quite quite fascinating. So those are all the headline stories. I'm going to pass on to Judith with the first of today's stories. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Batten Hall Road was closed after a workman received an electric shock while digging a ditch. Contractors were attempting to repair a water mains leak when one put his spade through underground wires. Resident Heidi Sandals, 61, raised the alarm when the man shot out like some beast from the deep lagoon, with emergency services quickly on the scene. The road was blocked for a short time, with Western Power Distribution later arriving to fix wiring that affected the electricity supply to the two homes next to the site near the turn for Timberdine Avenue. He was protected by wearing the right gear, but you could see the scorch marks around the top of his gloves, said Mrs Sandals. He was fine. I think they said he was very lucky under the circumstances. He was conscious and the ambulance took him away to get checked over. It was surreal. He shot out uh, like some beast from the deep lagoon again. And then I saw his mate bringing him out just after it had happened. I shouted to my husband, ambulance, now! And they got here very quickly, in about five minutes. It all happened so quickly. There were fire engines, police and the paramedics here, so it was all happening. We were just glad he was OK. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service confirmed two crews had been dispatched to the call, which went in at 11.22am, and that they had declared the incident closed within the hour, after the man had been transferred to the care of paramedics. Police were called and closed the road while the man was treated. A West Mercia police statement on the incident said, emergency services were called to an incident on Battenhall Road at approximately 11.25 this morning to report that a man had been injured whilst working in a garden. His injuries are not believed to be life-threatening or changing at this time. 
The matter has been referred to the Health and Safety, Safety Executive. The road was closed for a short time whilst the emergency services responded. Remembrance Sunday will be celebrated across Worcestershire to commemorate the contribution of British and Commonwealth military and civilian servicemen and women involved in the two world wars. A service will take place at Worcester Cathedral on Sunday, November the 10th. The Act of Remembrance at the County War Memorial will take place at 10.55. The following day, there will be another Act of Remembrance at County War Memorial at 10.55 for Armistice Day. At St John's Church, a Good Old Days event will take place on Remembrance Sunday between 5 and 7pm. Paul Harding and members from Discover History will be speaking about the horror felt after war was declared. At 7pm, poppies will fall from the sky to respect the fallen. A service will take place at Clane's Church at 10.55 on Sunday, November the 10th. The service will leave the British Legion on Cornmeadow Lane at 10.30am to walk to the short distance to the War Memorial, arriving at 10.45 for the laying of wreaths and for reflection. The next day, Clane's Primary School will have their service at the church at 10.30, followed by a wreath-laying at the War Memorial at 11am. In Warnden, a reflective service will take place at 10.45 on Sunday at St Woolston in Cranham Drive, and afterwards an act of remembrance will take place on the green just outside the church with children from the Scouts participating. A new multi-million pounds foot and cycle bridge, which will open up the north of the city, has taken a huge step forward. Work to build a new bridge between Gullivelt Park and the old Keepax Landfill site has gathered pace in recent months, and now Worcester City Council's Policy and Resources Committee has agreed to put aside up to £100,000 to formalise plans. Councillor Simon Geraghty said building a new bridge as a way of opening up the north of the city was an opportunity the council must seize. He said there had been concerns with building Diglis Bridge, but nobody would now say it was a waste of resources. I am sure in ten years' time you won't find anyone in Worcester that is saying this isn't a good thing to do, he said. Whilst £875,000 has already been allocated by the City Council to ensure the, the project goes ahead, the Council would still need to find £6.5 million to build the bridge. The estimated total cost would be almost £9 million, which includes studies, design costs, the new bridge, a path through the Keepax site and wider improvements. The rising cost of the bridge did concern the committee's Labour councillors. Councillor Roger Berry said he scoffed when the cost of the bridge was quoted as £6 million and was now very concerned by the increase. Worcestershire County Council promised £4 million towards the cost of the bridge as well as for refurbishments to the city's Sabrina Bridge in its last budget. The Council's Policy and Resources Committee's decision made at a meeting on November the 5th, means the City Council will contribute 
£610,000 of the £610,000 needed to build a full business case and compile planning applications, as well as to pay for further studies. City Council leader, Councillor Mark Bayliss, said Labour's claims there was no demand for the bridge or that it was not value for money had all been knocked on the head by the report and they were only against it because it was a Conservative idea. He said the new bridge was not a one-party project and told all councillors to get on board as it was a good scheme that had demonstrable support from the public. Councillor Adrian Gregson, leader of the council's Labour group, said he would be more enthusiastic if it could be shown the new bridge would stop lorries and cars from travelling through the city centre. He said drawing comparisons with the Diglis Bridge were a massive flaw of the plan and the two areas were completely different. The committee's Conservative and Green councillors voted for the plan, with Labour abstaining. The future of the Worcester branch of Mothercare is in doubt after the company announced plans to put its UK business into administration, putting 2,500 jobs at risk. The children's retailer, which has 79 UK stores, including one in the city's Broad Street, said it will file a notice of intent to appoint administrators for the UK business later on Monday. The company confirmed that all of the stores will remain open for the time being. Mothercare UK slumped to a £36.9 million loss in the financial year to March, as it has struggled amid a period of turmoil for high street retailers. The retail retailer, which has around 500 full-time staff and 2,000 part-time employees, is set to follow the likes of Bombarsh, Jack Wills and Karen Millen, which also went into administration in recent months. The Global Mothercare Group said it has undertaken a review of the UK business and found that it is not capable of returning to a level of structural profitability. It said the business is therefore unable to satisfy the cash needs of the UK arm and is therefore filing the notice as part of the restructuring and refinancing process. Richard Lim, Chief Executive Officer at Retail Economics, said, Years of underinvestment in the online business and its inability to differentiate itself as a specialist for young families and expectant parents has been the root of its seemingly inevitable downfall. As competition has become fiercer, they have been beaten on the price, convenience and the overall customer experience. Put simply, they have been left behind in today's rapidly evolving market and the board has been unable to restructure the business fast enough to cope with a new retail paradigm that has emerged. The firm was founded in 1961 by entrepreneurs Selim Zilka and Sir James Goldsmith, becoming part of the Storehouse Group in 1986, along with Habitat and British Home Stores. 
In recent years, the business has seen a steady decline in sales, resulting in a number of profit warnings and a steady stream of store closures. Last year, Mothercare said it had secured a deal which would lead to the closure of 50 stores and affect 800 jobs. Cyclists could be fined £100 for riding in pedestrianised areas in Worcester City Centre. Councillors discussed applying the Public Space Prevention Order, PSPO, to the city centre to tackle feeding gulls and other birds, urinating in the street, riding bikes and aggressive begging at a communities committee meeting on October 30th. The councillors were asked to approve a four-week public consultation on the proposal to implement a draft PSPO to the city centre after an earlier consultation which ran in March and April this year, attracting more than a 1,000 replies. The committee raised concerns over the wording of some of the elements to form the PSPO, such as the issue of dangerous cycling and how the order could be enforced. Councillor Louise Griffith said... How are we going to actually enforce this? We've had problems with dog poo and not enforced it. As far as cycling on the pavement goes, it is already illegal, so how are we going to enforce it? With regards to the issue of aggressive begging, Mel Kirk from Mag's Day Centre addressed the committee saying that they supported the order. We are fully supportive of this in relation to aggressive begging. It is important to outline the differences. A rough sleeper is someone who sleeps in the street whereas a homeless person could live in a hostel and a beggar is not necessarily in either category. Most beggars are not aggressive, so this order is only going to affect a small minority of beggars. We are fully supportive of this order because it adds extra layers to the process before arrest and going into the criminal procedure. We welcome this because we deal with lots of individuals who will not engage with us, so this order will compel people to work with us. The report also contains suggestions for enforcing laws on psychoactive substances and legal highs. Some members of the committee admitted they had not seen the report prior to the meeting and the committee agreed that there were too many issues with the wording and enforcement of the order for approval to be granted that night. They agreed to bring it back to the table again in January with more of the members had had time to fully read the report and work out the best wording and categories for the order. Much needed refurbishments to a city swimming pool can now start after councillors agreed to a £100,000 loan. The Worcester Citizens Swimming Bath Association, which runs Lower Wick Swimming Pool, wants to replace the ageing lining of its pool and refurbish tired changing rooms in the next two months and called on Worcester City Council for £97,806 loan to help carry out the work. The total cost of the work, including replacement of the pool's lining, refurbishment of the changing rooms and reception area, and replacement of the pool's filters would be £195,000. Gary Kibblewhite, chairman of the Swimming Pool Association, said the loan would help to teach more than a 1,000 children a year to swim. He said, We really needed this support to allow us to go forward on a timescale, which meant we could match fund and with a minimum closure. I really do thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
Thank you all very much. The Council's Policy and Resources Committee unanimously approved the loan on November the 5th. Councillor Mark Bayliss said the swimming pool was at the heart of the community. He said it had served as a training ground for learners for many years and still does an important job. Councillor Bayliss said he was delighted to be able to agree to the loan. The much-needed repairs have been discussed for a number of years, culminating in a £15,000 request from the council to replace the 15-year-old lining and refurbish old floors around the pool last September. Councillors delayed a decision to allow for proposals for wider improvements to come forward and to discuss alternative methods for funding. The council met with swimming pool bosses about the possibility of a loan rather than a grant funding to allow the swimming pool to receive more money for repairs. Patch repairs had been made to the pool, but a survey said the pool lining must be replaced within the next 12 to 18 months. The pool was self-funded until 2012, but around £50,000 of council money has been required to pay for a number of refurbishments, including roof repairs and energy-saving work. Right, now um, we're going to have a few um, sports news, and I'm going to start off with um, some football news. Uh, An FA Vars run represents Worcester City's best chances of avoiding losses, totalling a little bit more than last season's £20,000 deficit. That's the verdict of Chairman Steve Good after the homeless club slashed its shortfall from £71,135 during the previous year to £20,700. 22 in accounts posted for up to the end of May 2019. Budgets had already been put in place when a fan-led group of directors came in following the departure of then-chairman Anthony Hampson in August 2018. Measures to reduce costs and increase sponsorship followed with good acknowledging that then-manager John Snape, had helped tighten the purse strings by not using the full amount of his playing budget once it became clear City would not be in the promotion shake-up. But the City Chief has warned that maintaining a push towards the target of a break-even position is unlikely while waiting to return to Worcester, placing greater emphasis on tonight's um, I don't know when tonight was. Um, uh, a, a break even position is likely waiting to return to Worcester, placing greater emphasis on a rescheduled FA Vars second round clash at home to Dunkirk. Victories over Wellington, Highgate United and Pinchbeck United have yielded £2,100 in prize money to date, with another £900 up for grabs at the Victoria Ground if Ashley Vincent's men can reach the last 64. We will most probably lose a little bit more than last season, the reasons being we are not in Worcester. 
and we are struggling more on the sponsorship side, said Good. The results have not been brilliant for us, but luckily the supporters are still coming. We could do with another 50 on the gate every week, and if that happened, we would probably be a lot closer to our aim. I would love to say we could break even, and if we were make, and if we were in Worcester, we would be making more money, and I would guarantee that. That's the big issue, and with the weather set to change now, I think our gates will go down and touch. Every season we are away from Worcester, it gets harder and harder. We do have this FA Vars game, which is absolutely massive for the club, and if we can win that, it keeps the interest going. A good run could mean a break-even season. That's how important it is. But whatever happens, we will keep working as hard as we can to get as close as possible to that. On last season's account, Good added... Although we made a loss, I was pleased. When we became involved, we said we would look after the accounts and we have done that. The loss is more in line with where we are. The sooner we get back playing in Worcester, the better because the losses will continue while we play out of the city. We are working with what we have. We are trying to keep the fan base and that's important. We need them to carry on supporting us and understand the position we are in. We have set wage structures and budgets in place which we do not go over. John Snape was under budget when he was manager, so we clawed back some money there. People wanted us to spend that money, but John's attitude was why waste it when we were not going up or down. The gold bond helped a lot, but has been struggling. We need people to join and we are trying to push that. Gates also went up for a period of time, but the reduced loss was mainly due to managing the accounts. Andy Jones, company secretary, marshals the finances really well and keeps us informed on a weekly basis with incomings and outgoings. Over the season, there were no real issues because we stayed within budget, sometimes by 200 to 300 pounds. Sponsors step forward too, but the biggest problem on that front is that we don't have much to offer a massive backer. We depend on the fans who have supported us over the years to keep putting in that little bit extra. Victory for City would set up a home tie with Shepshed Dynamo or Cadbury Athletic. That rescheduled clash took place last night in the third round on the weekend of Saturday, November the 30th. Landlords Broms, Bromsgrove Sporting have a home league fixture scheduled for the Saturday and would take priority. Worcester's Dark Horse Drag Racing Team secured the 2019, 2019 British Santa Pod Championships in their Pro ET class. Up against 49 competitive cars and racers, they came through to take the top spot. Winning team members Brian and Lee Huxley admitted, you have to be on top of your game to get past some of these seasoned players. Their 1968 Ford Mustang Fastback covers the quarter of a mile of the Bedfordshire venue in 9.5 seconds at 150 miles an hour. It's powered by a Tim Hines built big block Ford V8 8.5 litres with two-speed transmission and a bulletproof Ford rear axle. 
Brian Huxley said, The car is awesome to drive and the best driven in 39 years of driving. Lee has been very successful in this car and has also been racing for 34 years. We have a very good team, including crew chief Andy Walker, looking after us, and as a team, we bond together well. With reliability making the car a winner, the team overall the engine, transmission and axle every two years to make sure everything is working well. They thank their sponsors, with many based in Worcester. The duo added, The Pro ET class is very friendly to be in, just like another family. The car is also raced in Germany and France, with Lee Huxley usually driving when abroad and enjoying success for the team, which now looks forward to the 2020 season. And now some rugby union news. Well, Worcester Warriors, I'm afraid, lost out to... Exeter Chiefs, uh, 20-24. Director of Rugby, Alan Solomon, said it was a tragedy that Worcester Warriors were unable to beat Exeter Chiefs, who came from behind to win at 24-20 at Six Ways. Solomon's was adamant Warriors deserved to come away victorious after leading 17-3 in the opening period and they held a 20-17 to 17 advantage going into the final 10 minutes. But Solomons was left seething at two costly mistakes from Michael Fatiolofa and Chris Pennell, which led to late scores. Matt Keswick crashed over shortly after Fatiolofa... Sorry, Mr... Uh, I'm not very good on names. He was penalised anyway on halfway before Harry Williams scored the match-winning try, which came off the back of a miscued kick to touch by Pennell. I'm really disappointed because that was a game we should have won, but for a lack of discipline, Solomons said. We have the ball on halfway, but clean out with no arms. A penalty was correctly given and we end up with a line-out five metres away from our line. We spoke about being disciplined and not giving away penalties in our middle third. They draw level and then we shank a kick with no pressure on us. That leads directly to a second try. Those are the fine margins you play at this level. You can't afford to give away silly penalties and make unforced errors. Perry Humphreys struck twice to give Warriors a 14-point advantage in the first half and a resilient defensive display almost saw them seal victory. That was the tragedy as the team played so well, Solomon said. I've got no doubt in my mind we deserved to win that game, but we were the authors of our own misfortune. You just lose your head for a minute and that costs you. Warriors suffered a double blow before the interval when Sam Lewis was forced off with a head injury before Jack Maunder crossed. We were very positive at half-time, Solomon added. It's unfortunate as we gave them a try right on half-time, so we should have gone in there at 17-3 up, not 17-10. We said the first ten minutes of the second half were absolutely critical. We didn't think beyond that and we did fine with that. At the end of the day, it boils down to a lack of discipline and errors that cost us the match. Exeter boss Rob Baxter was delighted his side got some reward for a lot of hard work as they bounced back from the previous week's defeat at Bath. 
We pinned our game together better and the penalties we gave away weren't the same type as last week, Baxter said. It wasn't ill-discipline from us, it was just good work by Worcester. If the game sprung on any ill-discipline, it came from Worcester later in the game, which gave us field position and allowed us to score. The, the foundation of our game held up a lot better and our ability to move from solid scrum to line-out to attack and hold onto the ball was very good. And that's our sports slot, so on with some more general news. Okay. Thank you. Two residents at a Worcester hostel for homeless people have taken up jobs in the kitchen there. With Darren Miles and Paul White now employed as kitchen assistants, the total number of people given that role at St Paul's Hostel is eight, thanks to money from the National Community Lottery Fund, which has funded the programme since January 2017. Working under Greg Dobson, the catering manager, who provides on-the-job training, including work experience at the Diglish House Hotel, the aim is to help kitchen assistants improve their CV and find a job. This project has given more people the opportunity to learn their, these skills than we ever imagined, said Greg. Both Darren and Paul are able to cook dinner for 46 residents to my very high standards. I have every confidence both Darren and Paul will find employment in a similar role after they leave St Paul's. Steve Perrone, General Manager at Diglis House Hotel, is a strong advocate of the programme. We are more than happy to play our part helping St Paul's, he said. Darren is working with our head chef, Mike Hughes, and is doing really well. Darren, who had volunteered in the kitchen prior to landing the employed role, said, This has helped my self-confidence. Being trusted to run the St Paul's Kitchen with only eight weeks training, cooking for nearly 50 people and now working with Diglis Hotel is absolutely brilliant. Speaking about the opportunity, Paul said, I am really grateful for this opportunity and I am looking forward to starting my role. The Kitchen Assistant Training Programme was part of the larger Tree of Life Programme run by St Paul's and funded by the National Community Lottery Fund that has also included briefings to members of the public about why homelessness happens and the work of St Paul's Hostel. The target of engaging with 1,000 people was exceeded earlier this year. Many people think we are all two paychecks away from homelessness, but, this, but the evidence suggests this is not the case, said Felicity James, who has overseen the programme. Homelessness is much more likely if a person is raised by a single parent, endures childhood poverty and childhood adversity and leaves school at 16. She added, We are also excited that academic research about our trauma-informed approach and how it has changed the dynamics between staff and residents and has led to better outcomes, could be published next year. Hundreds of twinkling lights will be lit in memory and celebration of loved ones at a range of moving hospice services this winter. 
In the weeks leading to Christmas, there will be six St Richard's Hospice Lights of Love services or events, offering the community a place to remember and celebrate the lives of their loved ones. The first two services will be held at Worcester Cathedral on Friday, November the 22nd at 2.30pm and 7pm. The evening service will be followed by a procession to St Andrew's Spire where a Christmas tree will be illuminated full of dedicated lights of love. Services will then be held at the Pershore Abbey on Thursday, November the 28th, Droitwich Spa Methodist Church on Wednesday, December the 4th, Great Malvern Priory on Tuesday, December the 10th, and carols at St Richard's Hospice Worcester on Thursday, December the 19th. Anyone is welcome to dedicate a light in memory or celebration of a loved one and attend a Lights of Love service if they wish. The dedicated names will be displayed around St Andrew's Spire and in Books of Remembrance at Worcester Cathedral, Pershore Abbey, Great Malvern Priory and Droitwich Library. Supporters can dedicate and donate online with the added benefit of their personal message being displayed on the St Richard's online Christmas tree. If requested, dedicated names will also be printed in the Worcester News on Tuesday, December the 24th. To make a, donation, a, a dedication, use the form, write, go online to strichards.org.uk slash lights of love or call the fun, fundraising team on 01905 958 <clears throat> a woman has spoken about how she tackled her mental and physical health issues with the help of housing association Fortis Living. Dawn Jones was offered help by Fortis after her depression got so bad that she attempted suicide. She said, My struggles with mental health began five years ago when my mum died. I used to see her every day, so it was a very hard time for me. At the same time, I became a carer for my stepdad, who had dementia. Then two years ago, I split up from my partner and experienced some really challenging times with my children, one of whom has learning difficulties. It all got on top of me and I attempted suicide. Prior to this, Dawn had signed up for a fitness programme organised by Fortis. But after the death of her mother, she felt unable to carry on with it. Caroline Winnell, the association's health and well-being coordinator, had known Dawn earlier and noticed she was not taking part in organised activities. She said, When I met Dawn again, I was really upset to see how she had gone downhill. She told me she was in a really dark place and was on antidepressants as well as sleeping tablets. She enrolled Dawn on a new programme called Restart, which included a 10-week gym membership and mental health coaching. Since beginning the programme, Dawn has lost two stone and two pounds and has noticed a marked improvement in her mental health. She said, The support I have received has been fantastic and I can't thank Fortist enough. I have built up my resilience and self-help has now well and truly kicked in. Some gyms make you feel self-conscious. However, the gym I attend isn't, uh, it isn't like that at all. I've found a new lease of life and feel so much better. I've given up smoking and although I haven't worked for 17 years, 
hope to go back to college with the hope of a good job at the end. I'm indebted to Caroline and her team. Hmm. <coughs> a rugby player from Worcester is taking on a work experience placement at the same intensive care unit that saved her life. Jemima Moss, 17, who plays for Worcester Warriors Women, was rushed to A&E at Worcestershire Royal Hospital with sepsis last summer while waiting for her GCSE results. When Jemima first became ill, she thought she had the flu. But after collapsing, it was realised that something bigger had happened to her. While in A&E, Jemima's heart rate and white blood cell count were dangerously high, despite doctors initially thinking she had a burst appendix. After con confirmatory scans and exploratory keyhole surgery, she was diagnosed with sepsis. She then spent a week in intensive care, during which time it was feared she might die. But she managed to survive and a week later was taken off life support on GCSE Results Day. She said, As I became more conscious, I managed to open the results envelope my sister and best friend had picked up earlier that morning, and I remember being totally delighted with my results. I realise that I am incredibly lucky to have survived sepsis. I am truly thankful to the A&E, ICU and paediatrics team and the many other brilliant staff in the hospital for the care they gave me and for saving my life. After a week in intensive care, she was finally given the tentative all clear and was transferred to Riverbank Ward, where she spent another seven days and was, visit was visited by friends, family and Worcester Warriors and England hooker Lark Davis. The infection very nearly cost Jemima her life, but now she's back to her full strength and playing again for the, <clears throat> for the Warriors development team. Since her ordeal, Jemima has decided to carry out a week-long work experience placement, shadowing the very doctors and nurses that saved her life. She is even considering a career in medicine once she finishes her A-levels next year. She added, I am also incredibly grateful for the support from the Worcester Warriors team for helping me get back to my previous strength and fitness. Six months after I became ill, I was back playing rugby again. Now Jemima and her Worcester Warriors side have teamed up with the UK Sepsis Trust to raise awareness about the condition and are holding a special fixture for Sepsis Awareness Day on December the 1st at Sixway Stadium in Worcester. She said, I am so extremely proud and pleased that Worcester Warriors women are now sponsored by the UK Sepsis Trust and that as a club, we can help spread awareness and encourage more happy endings like mine. Sepsis, also known as blood poisoning, is a life-threatening reaction to an infection that kills 44,000 people a year in the UK. Sepsis is often difficult to diagnose because early symptoms can be confused with other conditions. The name and logo of the UK Sepsis Trust will be prominently displayed on Warriors women's shirts throughout the season to help raise awareness of a life-threatening reaction to infection which kills five people every hour 
and affects 25,000 children each year in the UK. A pensioner has called smokers selfish for smoking outside Worcestershire Royal Hospital despite there being prohibited signs in place. Jenny Hall-Manchester from Worcester says she is disappointed with the non-smoking signs at the hospital and describes it as a PR stunt. Mrs Hall-Manchester has written to the hospital and City MP Robin Walker about her concerns. She said, As an outpatient to the hospital with medical problems, I find it very uncomfortable and not very pleasant inhaling the fumes from the selfish smokers at the entrance to the hospital. Every time you go to the hospital, you have to walk through people smoking by the entrance. It's not supposed to be a smoking area. Although there are signs stating smoking is prohibited, you will always find people with no consideration for other people smoking next to the signs. Mr Walker replied in his letter, The Trust have notified me that the policy is supported by hospital staff and security who would challenge offenders. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust, said, As a healthcare organisation, we owe it to our patients, our visitors and our staff to do everything we can to deter people from smoking on our sites and to support and encourage anyone who wants to quit smoking. Although we have prominent signage across our sites, clearly indicating to patients and visitors where smoking is not allowed, these warnings are often ignored. We appreciate that people often find themselves at our hospital in stressful or distressing circumstances. In these circumstances, it is not surprising that those who smoke may seek comfort in their habit without recognising the impact it can have on others nearby. However, while that may explain these incidents, it does not excuse them. Our staff can and do challenge patients and visitors who they see ignoring the no-smoking signs. We cannot and will not ignore the problem. We are setting up a working group which includes doctors, nurses and patients to look carefully at what has worked for other organisations, not just in managing the issues around smoking on site, but also to encourage and support smokers to quit, whether they are patients, visitors or members of staff. A Muslim charity in Worcester has made important changes after it was slammed in a report for a series of failures and management errors. A damning charity commission inquiry into the Jalalabad Association found the charity had run after school education at the mosque without carrying out basic disclosure and barring service safeguarding checks. The charity also failed to account for money donated to it and failed to submit financial accounts for five years. It was made the subject of an inquiry from the Charity Commission after worshippers raised concerns about £2,300 of taxpayers' cash. Mayor of Worcester, Aladitta, gave the charity more than £2,000 from his divisional fund in 2012, a pot of cash that can be spent on local causes, and in this case was supposed to pay for a day trip and computer equipment. The day trip didn't happen because of scheduling problems, and the computer equipment was not bought because of fears over being burgled. 
The charity repaid the money to the County Council after the inquiry started. After the opening of the inquiry, three founder trustees of the charity resigned their posts. The inquiry found there were three further trustees who had never been registered with the Commission and did not know they were trustees, despite legally holding the position. It was also found no one from the charity had taken overall responsibility for administration, which included their arrangements for safeguarding and finances. According to the Commission's report, the charity had been providing after-school education at the mosque, but the trustees could not show any safeguarding measures, such as that DBS checks had been carried out or considered. In addition, the Commission found three of the former trustees had been in their posts from the time the charity was founded, without ever standing for re-election, as well as having not read the Constitution. The charity was also operating with an insufficient number of trustees, and apart from bank statements, there was little evidence of the charity's income or expenditure. The trustees did not oversee the accounts, which were late from April 2013 until April 2019, and most money was collected in cash, with no formal records kept to account for its income. On June the 13th, the Commission issued an order directing the Charities Executive Committee to undertake a series of actions by December. This included a direction on safeguarding, and the current trustees have already implemented a new policy, which includes the requirement for DBS checks. A spokesman for the Jalalabad Association said, We have taken tremendous strides to implement numerous process improvements to comply with the Charities Commission. This is acknowledged by the Charities Commission in their final inquiry report. The Commission is satisfied with the changes implemented to date, and as such, have closed the inquiry. Jalalabad Association continues to work closely with the Charities Commission to implement further process changes. Upgraded tennis courts are coming to a park in Worcester after the City Council agreed to go ahead with plans to award a contract to run them. At the meeting of the Communities Committee councillors, agreed to give the green light to complete the legal agreements with its preferred bidder to operate the tennis courts in Cripplegate Park over the next five years. The decision comes after the Council's planning committee approved plans to refurbish the tennis courts in Cripplegate Park after receiving £215,000 of grants and loans from the Lawn Tennis Association. There will be hourly fees and advance bookings when the courts are operational, but there will also be free introductory sessions for residents. The proposals also include installing floodlights at Cripplegate Park to allow the courts to remain operational until 9pm. This, the council believes, will encourage more people to take part when the courts open between February and April 2020. Proposed dates for the new courts are a £15 registration fee to enable advanced bookings, followed by £7 per hour court fees for adults, 
five pounds per hour for juniors, and adult concessions of three pounds fifty and five pounds twenty-five. Councillor Stephen Hodgson raised the issue of maintenance, saying, "What provision is there that the court will remain in good condition? We will end up paying for something terrible that people won't want to use." In response, Warwick Neal, the officer responsible, said, "The LTA sets standards regarding maintenance of courts, and there is a maintenance agreement in the agreement with the contractor." Maintaining the courts will cost an estimated six million two hundred and eighty-eight thousand pounds per year over the course of the contract, according to the council's report. Renovation work on the Crowngate Shopping Centre has finally finished after six months. The one point five million renovation of pound renovation of the Angel Place entrance of Crowngate Shopping Centre's Friary Walk was successfully completed on November the first. The refurbishment of Friary Walk's Angel Place entrance began in the spring, and work includes the front elevation facade being updated, <clears throat> while the entryway has been modernised with a framed glazed structure and all new doors. New external signage has been installed. Timber cladding to the Vision Express shop front has been put in place, and the windows to the residential apartments have been replaced. Mike Lloyd, centre manager at Crowngate Shopping Centre, said, "We are so pleased with how Angel Place has been refreshed and now presents as we imagined. I am sure that after months of anticipation, our regular shoppers will be equally as impressed with how it looks." Our hope is that visitors who haven't been for a while will be keen to return, and that newcomers will be intrigued to see what we have beyond our doors. Being in the heart of the city means we have a wealth of opportunity to attract and secure new business, and the renovation puts us in very good stead for developing our offering. The completion of the work comes as business leaders voted nearly eighty-five percent in favour of another term for the Worcester Business Improvement District. The results released on November the first by Civ- Civica Election Services, which conducted the independent ballot on behalf of Worcester City Council, showed three hundred and thirty-two businesses cast their vote. Two hundred and eighty-two businesses voted positively. Phoebe Dawson, bid CEO, said, "We are beyond delighted with the results of this year's ballot, which have extended expectations and are better than any ballot in the bid's history." The city bosses' enviable high street football nu- footfall numbers and new initiatives such as evening food festivals and a pop-up park have been a great boon for the city. We are looking forward to continuing this great work as well as expanding and improving Worcester's commercial offering. A best-selling author has written a dark and twisted psychological thriller set in Worcester, inspired by her own experience. Sue Watson's latest book, *The Empty Nest*, tells the story of a Worcester woman whose daughter is away at university and mysteriously disappears in the first term. This is the former BBC producer's third thriller. Her two previous novels hit the top of the bestsellers lists in both the UK and the US, and she's hoping this one will be even more successful. 
The idea came to me recently when my daughter Eve left home to go to university, said Sue, who lives in Bromsgrove. I thought, how crazy is this? We've nurtured and protected her all her life. And at the tender age of 18, we drive her to another city, move her into a house full of strangers and leave her there. I remember driving home after moving her in and it felt like I'd left one of my limbs behind. Thankfully, my daughter loves university life. Sue added, but the whole experience made me think about the empty nest our children leave behind. How is it filled? And what if there is potential for real danger, both inside and outside that nest? Sue, who is a former Barbourne resident, chose to set the novel in Worcester because she says she loves the city. I've set previous novels here. It has so much for the writer. Along with the history, there's the river, the cathedral, the university and the wonderful mix of people, she said. I wanted this story to start here and end here, but I won't say any more. No spoilers. The Empty Nest is described as a gripping and suspenseful psychological thriller with more twists and turns than a roller coaster and an ending that will blow readers' minds and is available to buy as paperback or ebook on Amazon, Kobo and iTunes. The mysterious removal of a new zebra crossing from traffic plans in St John's has been called a spiteful and nasty act of betrayal by a councillor who fears it will put hundreds of elderly residents in danger. Worcestershire County Council had previously included a zebra crossing in Henwick Road as part of its congestion-busting plans, but it has now been removed because of political reasons, according to Councillor Richard Udall. The original plans with the zebra crossing were celebrated by Councillor Udall when they were first revealed in July and he said its inclusion came as a result of more than two decades of campaigning. Councillor Udall said he now cannot support the scheme as he had only accepted the plans because of a promise to install the new crossing and hundreds of elderly residents living in sheltered housing in Cripplegate Henwick and Seven House would be trapped and have no safe way of crossing the road. He called its removal a spiteful and nasty act of betrayal. Councillor Udell said, The crossing was included at my request and for some mysterious reason, one which I am yet to understand, it has now been removed and that is just not acceptable. There are 600 mostly elderly and disabled residents living there, that's Cripplegate House, who already have a lot of difficulty crossing the road. As far as I'm concerned, the safety of pedestrians and residents in St John's is far more important than free-flowing traffic. A spokesman for the County Council said a number of options have been considered for improving crossing facilities on Henwick Road, including relocating the refuge and the potential option of a zebra crossing. Final detailed designs are still being considered, but the provision of a zebra crossing will not be progressed. The carriageway on Henwick Road is being narrowed and 
ample safe crossing opportunities are being provided and therefore it is not considered that a zebra crossing is required. The proposed work in St John's is part of a county council project to tackle congestion in a number of hotspots throughout the city. The improvements have been made possible because of a successful £3.2 million bid by Worcestershire County Council to the Department for Transport. The money is handed out to councils to tackle congestion and boost productivity on roads. A planning application which includes closing bushwalk to drivers from the busy main road in St John's and making it one way as well as creating a larger public space in front of the Bush Inn pub is likely to go before County Council planners in December. Work to install a new signalled crossing in Croft Road was completed in May and improvements in Sidbury were completed last month. Blood cancer support charity Leukaemia Care has celebrated its 50th anniversary with the help of a royal visitor. The Duchess of Gloucester arrived to unveil a plaque marking the milestone and then greeted cancer survivors and staff members. Ellie Philpotts, 23, was first diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at 15, treated at Worcester Royal Hospital and supported by Leukaemia Care. Ellie from Kidderminster said, I feel privileged to be part of this event. The charity works so hard to raise awareness. What they do is so important and is making a big difference. Pete Ives, one of the founding members of the Leukaemia Care, said, 50 years ago today, a group of parents sat in a room and created what was then the only charity of its kind. It is now successful and saving lives, and it's just fantastic to see. When we started the charity, there was little information or guidance about the disease. Families, including my own, were left without hope. Zach Pemberton Whitley, patient advocacy director at Leukaemia Care, said, We work hard to give the patients a voice and to campaign for awareness. The campaign we are running currently, called SPOT, leukaemia, is aimed at recognising the symptoms and securing an early diagnosis. Retired consultant physician Richard Taylor, president of Leukaemia Care, said, When someone is diagnosed with a malignant disease, they want someone to talk to about it. They don't want to burden family members and this is where we come in, providing a listening service. Mayor of Worcester, Aladita, said, I'm very grateful to be here at this event, seeing the charity get the support that it needs. The charity was registered in 1969 as a support network for parents whose children had leukaemia. Over the years, it expanded to help anybody affected by a diagnosis of blood cancer, which is the fifth most common cancer in the UK. A man was thrown out of court by magistrates after his cross-examination of a police witness descended into farce and led him to being given a final warning. After being ejected from court, Aima Ali was found guilty on four counts and will pay fines and costs totalling more than £2,000. The heated scenes in courtroom one at Worcester Magistrates began before the 35-year-old even spoke to confirm his name. After refusing to switch his phone off, Harvard Painter, Magistrates Chairman, said, You could end in serious trouble before we even start. 
Mark Johnson, prosecuting, told magistrates Ali had been spotted pulling up behind them on Bullring Roundabout when the traffic lights were red. The police listened in on an emergency call and while they worked out if they were near the incident, the light changed and there was a delay of three seconds as officers decided whether they should change lanes. The defendant in frustration sounded his horn, Mr Johnson said. He drove past at speed in a manner that was deemed to be unacceptable. Police stopped the defendant in Bromyard Road. He was spoken to. His behaviour was described as bizarre and odd. Mr Johnson said Ali was suspected of being under the influence, so he was asked to do a roadside drug wipe. His behaviour was obstructive. He refused to cooperate with it. At one point tried to put it in, in his mouth the wrong way up, Mr Johnson said. He said Ali then resisted arrest, but eventually was handcuffed and taken into custody. PC Williams was then called to the stand and he confirmed the account put to magistrates about what had happened at around 2am on August the 25th. PC Williams said he became very, very aggressive, started shouting and swearing, refused to speak to me using expletives. He made threats like, I know where you live and I will have you. PC Williams also said he was absolutely certain Ali had a defective number plate. Ali defended himself and in more than 20 minutes of cross-examination he was warned about attacking the character of the officer, at one point saying the officer had been acting like a wannabe gangster. This led Mr Johnson to halt proceedings and he asked for magistrates to allow Ali's numerous previous convictions to go before the court, which the magistrates allowed. When the questioning resumed, Ali was warned about launching into rants, repeating himself, which led him to say, I am slave, I am going to be convicted anyway, I'm just here to be punished. Ali then said to the officer he would put him in his place, which led the magistrate's chairman to say, enough, we want you to leave. And other magistrates shouted, leave. Security was called and Ali continued to rant as he was led out of the courtroom. Magistrates found him guilty of sounding a horn on a restricted road at night, driving a vehicle when the registration mark failed to conform with regulations, failure to comply with a preliminary uh, test, a drug wipe, and obstructing and resisting an officer. For obstruction, Alley of Canterbury Road was fined £666. For the number plate offence, it fined £230. For the horn use, he was fined 220 And for refusing the test, he was fined 660 He was also ordered to pay costs of £635 and a victim surcharge of £66, a total of £2,477. Pounds. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. So I have to thank Duncan Wynne, Judith Doherty, and Sally Rowe for uh, this evening. And it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off. Hope you all have a good week and to remind you that obituaries and thought for the week will follow the music. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
obituaries notified in the past week. Nun Francis, formerly of Blenheim Road, passed away at Regent Care Home on the 1st of November, shortly after proudly reaching her 100th birthday. Uh, inquiries to either Brenda on 07761 485440 or Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester 748111. Um, there is no detail there of the funeral service. You have to make a phone call. Sheila Briggs of Northwick passed away peacefully on October the 20th. A funeral service at St George's, C of E Church, Barbourne, Friday, November the 8th at 1.45pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Please wear a slash of colour. Donations to St George's C of E Church can be left on the plate or sent to AV Band, Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11UW. Judith Horton, known as D, passed away October 26th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday the 13th of November at 11.30am. Um, donations, if desired, for Motor Neurone Disease Association can be left on the plate or sent to EJ Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Now, David Wilson passed away after a short battle with cancer on October the 30th, XRAF. Thanksgiving service at Bromwich Road Mission on Monday, November the 11th at 2 o'clock. Uh, donations for the Royal British Legion could be left at the service. James Frederick Tipping, known as Jim, died suddenly on October the 17th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, November the 14th at 1 o'clock. Flowers to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Clifford Burrows, known as The Rat, passed away on October 24th. Ex-Worcester and Sherwood Forester Metalbox and Odd Fellows member. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, November 14th at 11.30am. Uh, donations for Cancer Research UK and Macmillan Cancer Support can be left in the donation box provided. And finally, Dorothy May Ball of Rose Avenue Butchers, Boots, Cash-Off Beds and Acorns passed away on October 28th, age 99. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 14th at 1.45pm. Donations, if desired, for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust can be left on the plate or sent to EJ Gummery & Son, details as before. Please wear something purple and join us to celebrate Dorothy's life. So our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. Um, and I'll just finish with the thought for the day is taken from the book of Exodus chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him.